Book Three, Chapter Eleven of the Late Mr. Jonathan Wild the Great. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. The Late Mr. Jonathan Wild the Great by Henry Fielding. Book Three, Chapter Eleven. A scheme so deeply laid that it shames all the politics of this our age with digression and subdigression. Wild, having now, to the hatred he bore heart-free, on account of those injuries, he had done him an additional spur from this injury received, for so it appeared to him, who, no more than the most ignorant, considered how truly he deserved it, applied his utmost industry, to accomplish the ruin of one whose very name sounded odious in his ears, when, luckily, a scheme arose in his imagination, which not only promised to effect it securely, but, which pleased him most, by means of the mischief he had already done him, and which would at once load him with the imputation of having committed what he himself had done to him, and would bring on him the severest punishment, for a fact of which he was not only innocent, but had already so greatly suffered by. And this was no other than to charge him with having conveyed away his wife, with his most valuable effects, in order to defraud his creditors. He no sooner started this thought than he immediately resolved on putting it in execution. What remained to consider was only the quo modo, and the person, or tool, to be employed, for the stage of the world differs from that in Drury Lane, principally in this, that whereas on the latter, the hero or chief figure is almost continually before your eyes, whilst the under-actors are not seen above once in an evening. Now, on the former, the hero or great man is always behind the curtain, and seldom or never appears or doth anything in his own person. He doth, indeed, in this grand drama, rather perform the part of the prompter, and doth instruct the well-dressed figures who are strutting in public on the stage what to say and do. To say the truth, a puppet show will illustrate our meaning better, where it is the master of the show, the great man, who dances and moves everything, whether it be the king of Muscovy, or whatever other potentate, alias, puppet, which we behold on the stage, but he himself keeps wisely out of sight, for should he once appear, the whole motion would be at an end. Not that any one is ignorant of his being there, or supposes that the puppets are not mere sticks of wood, and he himself the sole mover, but as this, though every one knows it, 
doth not appear visibly, that is, to their eyes, no one is ashamed of consenting to be imposed upon, of helping on the drama, by calling the several sticks or puppets by the names which the master hath allotted to them, and by assigning to each the character which the great man is pleased they shall move in, or rather in which he himself is pleased to move them. It would be, to suppose the gentle reader, one of very little knowledge in this world, to imagine thou hast never seen some of these puppet shows, which are so frequently acted on the great stage. But though thou shouldst have resided all thy days in those remotest parts of this island, which great men seldom visit, yet if thou hast any penetration, thou must have had some occasions to admire both the solemnity of countenance in the actor and the gravity in the spectator, while some of those farces are carried on which are acted almost daily in every village in the kingdom. He must have a very despicable opinion of mankind, indeed, who can conceive them to be imposed on as often as they appear to be so. The truth is, they are in the same situation with the readers of romances, who, though they know the whole to be one entire fiction, nevertheless agree to be deceived. And as these find amusement, so do the others find ease and convenience in this concurrence. But this being a sub-digression, I return to my digression. A great man ought to do his business by others, to employ hands, as we have before said, to his purposes, and keep himself as much behind the curtain as possible. And though it must be acknowledged that two very great men, whose names will be both recorded in history, did in these latter times come forth themselves on the stage, and did hack and hew, and lay each other most cruelly open to the diversion of the spectators, yet this must be mentioned, rather as an example of avoidance than imitation, and is to be ascribed to the number of those instances which serve to events the truth of these maxims. Nemo mortalium omnibus oris sapit. Ira furo brevist est, etc. End of Book 3, Chapter 11, read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California, for LibriVox.